0: encourage you if you didn't turn already to Psalm 31 to turn there and we'll read it again together for the choir director a psalm of David in you O Lord I have taken refuge let me never be ashamed in your righteousness deliver me incline your ear to me rescue me quickly be to me a rock of strength a stronghold to save me For you are my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, you will lead me and guide me. You will pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me. For you are my strength. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. I hate those who regard vain idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your loving kindness because you have seen my affliction. You have known the troubles of my soul, and you have not given me over into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a large place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted away from grief, my soul and my body also, for my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength has failed because of my iniquity, and my body is wasted away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I am forgotten as a dead man, out of mind. I am like a broken vessel. For I have heard the slander of many. Terror is on every side. While they took counsel together against me, they schemed to take away my life. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. Make your face to shine upon your servant. Save me in your loving kindness. Let me not be put to shame, O Lord, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them be silent in Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak arrogantly against the righteous with pride and contempt. How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you before the sons of men. You hide them in the secret place of your presence from the conspiracies of man. You keep them secretly in a shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has made marvelous his loving kindness to me in a besieged city. As for me, I said in my alarm, I am cut off before your eyes. Nevertheless, You heard the voice of my supplications when I cried to you. Oh, love the Lord, all you his godly ones. The Lord preserves the faithful and fully recompenses the proud doer. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. Father, we thank you that you are a rock and a fortress for us who trust in You, who take refuge in You. And we pray, God, that tonight You would help us to take refuge in You. God, You would teach us how to take refuge in You in times of trouble. Do this for Jesus' sake and do it in His strength, we pray. Amen. I read a story this week, some of you may have seen it as well, of a man who may have been helped by reading Psalm 31. Uh, it was a story of a of a fellow who had a very jealous father in law a father in law in fact who on a couple of times made attempts at his life and in order to escape, uh, he eventually decided that he needed to move to a small town in the mountains and try to hide away there and the father in law eventually found him and he had to flee. And again, he went to another small town in the mountains to hide. And again, the father-in-law eventually tracked him down and found him. And eventually he had to resort to going out on foot into the woods and the hollers around the towns that he had been hiding in and hide in the mountains. Now, that may sound like it happened in the backwoods somewhere in eastern Kentucky, But I didn't read that this week in the Lexington Herald-Leader. I read it actually in the Bible. It's a story of a character in the Bible, namely David, who wrote this psalm. You can read it in 1 Samuel 22 and 23 as David is hiding from his jealous father-in-law, Saul, who is attempting to kill him. And David in those chapters, you will find finds himself, as he says here in verse 21, in a besieged city. He's in a little town called Kyla, and he's holding up there and hiding, and Saul comes and lays siege to the city with his army, and David has to flee to another place. And then Saul comes and does the same thing. And in those cities, David is, as he says here in verse 11, turned in by his neighbors And eventually he's forced to flee out into the mountains, to flee out into the rocky hillsides around these villages and run from Saul in the wilderness. And as David hid among the cliffs and among those boulders, a thought occurred to him. Verse three, you are my rock and my fortress, therefore Verse 2, be to me a rock of strength and a stronghold to save me. David is sitting there perhaps with his back against a rock looking this way and that, trying to protect himself, trying to be safe from his enemy. And he looks at the rocks that are around him and says, God, you're my rock. You are my fortress. And he writes this psalm. And I was encouraged as I studied it because in the midst of his fears, in the midst of his sweat and his tremors, and his fleeing from place to place, David found time to pray. And David found reason to hope, as you've seen in this psalm. It's a hope-giving psalm. And David began in this psalm, in the midst of his trouble, to remind himself of some very important truths, some things that we need to remind ourselves when we are in times of trouble. And the thought also occurred to me, if David can be under more pressure than most of us have ever felt in our lives, if he can be fleeing for his very life, at times having spears thrown at him, having an entire army pursuing him, a single man, if David in that kind of difficulty can pray and have hope in the Lord and find peace in the Lord, then we can too. We really can. Whether it's the death of a loved one or pain that won't quit, or when the family is splintered, or when our kids are breaking our hearts, when there's loneliness that just won't go away, when the job is gone, when the schedule is overwhelming us, when sickness sets in, whatever it is that brings us to the depths of despair, if David can pause to pray and hope and gain peace, then we can as well. And I simply want to look at this psalm and try to ask, how did David do it? How did David respond in times of trouble? And I think you'll see that what he basically does is remind himself of some things. He brings up a whole series of reminders in this song. In other words, these are things that won't be new to many of you, and they certainly weren't new to David. But he paused and he said, let's have some times of reminder. And I think we need to pause tonight and do the same. And so... I noted five of them. Five things to do. Five reminders in times of trouble. Number one is this. When you're in trouble, when you're in difficulty, remind yourself of God's power. Remind yourself of God's power. That's what David's doing in the first four verses of this psalm, isn't he? And we see there right in the beginning, he starts to pray already. But in the midst of those prayers that he's praying to the Lord, he's reminding himself of what God is like. He's reminding himself of God's power. And he does it through a couple of interesting metaphors. Verse 3, You are my rock and my fortress. And then he sums them up both in verse 4 when he says, You are my strength. But he calls God a rock and a fortress. And I want you to think for just a moment about both of those metaphors. If you were to go back and read 1 Samuel chapters 22 and 23 read the story of David being pursued by Saul you would find that eventually they got to a place where David had fled from one city to the other and from that city out into the wilderness and Saul is pursuing him and the Bible says that David was on one side of a mountain and Saul was on the other and so it's kind of like this as Saul would come around David would I guess have scouts out and he would work around so that this mountain constantly stayed between them and Saul could not locate David or get to David That's what's happening. And what's happening in Psalm 31 is that David is apparently looking up at that mountain and pondering God and saying, that's what God is like. God is a rock. If Saul is going to get through me, get to me, he's going to have to go through that rock. And more than that, if Saul is going to get to me, he's going to have to go through my God. It's not just this mountain that's in between Saul and I. It's God Himself, who is my rock, who is my defender, who is between me and my enemies. That's what He's thinking here in this psalm when He calls God His rock. If God wants, or if Saul wants to get through me, He has to come through God. And that's not a very easy task, is it? And then He calls God His fortress. His fortress. Don't know exactly why he's thinking thinking of a fortress here. Perhaps there was a fortress there in the wilderness that he could see. Perhaps he was just thinking of one he had stayed in before. But you can picture a fortress in your mind. Maybe with a moat around the outside of it so that it can't be accessed on foot. Fortresses always have high, thick walls that can't be climbed easily and can't be knocked over easily. Often they're on top of a hill so that even the approach to them makes it easy for the archers to pick you off before you ever get to the walls. Fortresses are built so that if you're in the fortress, really all you have to do is hole up inside and trust the fortifications. There's not a lot of fighting that goes on when you're inside of a fortress. You're just trusting the fortifications that are all around you. And David says, that's what God is like. When I'm in difficulty, God will protect me. I will hold up with him and he will do the rest. I will trust in the fortifications and I won't have to fight this battle myself at all. And in reminding himself of these things, that God is a rock between him and his enemies, that God is a fortress that protects him so that he doesn't have to fight the battle himself, you can see in the end of verse 3 and in verse 4 that he is already gaining confidence. He is already beginning to praise the Lord for deliverance that he knows will come. And you will do the same if you talk to yourself like David talks to himself, if you remind yourself of the power of God, if you forget how powerful God is, then when difficulties come at you, it's really easy to say this is going to ruin us. We'll never be able to make it through this. I will never survive. I will never be the same. But if you remember that God is a rock and a fortress, you'll gain confidence. And maybe you can use these exact metaphors yourself. Maybe you can remember rock and fortress and what they mean, and that's what God is like. Maybe you find your own metaphors. You read in Isaiah that when we pass through the waters, God will be with us so that they won't overflow us. And you picture God as a dam that is unbreakable, keeping back the waters from flowing over you and destroying you. Maybe you picture God as a savvy God who knows all the places in the forest that you're in and can get you out safely. Whatever it is, make sure it's a biblical picture of God that it honors Him and is right. But remind yourself that God is stronger than the difficulties, that God is bigger than that person, that He's greater than that pain, that He's bigger and more powerful than that situation. And don't just use metaphors, but use the stories of old. If you read the rest of the story of David, you'll find that God did deliver him. That it wasn't just a metaphor in David's head that said God was strong, but that God proved himself strong. And you can remind yourself of God protecting the Israelites as they went through the Red Sea and then crushing their enemies. Or you can remind yourself how in the days of Hezekiah, They were holed up in the city and the people were besieging them and trying to starve them out, the Assyrians. And the angel of the Lord came and in one night 185,000 Assyrians were wiped out, thrown to the ground. You can remind yourself of how Jesus calmed the storm. You can do what the Epps did in that letter I read to you a few moments ago. They're facing a great difficulty that only a few of us in this room can understand. The loss of perhaps two children in the womb. And instead of just saying, well, I hope it will be okay, they're reminding themselves of God's power. Do you remember? They're reminding themselves of the story of Jairus, who came to Jesus and said, my daughter is sick. And while they were on the way, someone came and said, she's dead. Don't bother Jesus anymore. And Jesus said, don't be afraid, just believe. And he came and He raised the girl to life. And instead of just sitting and saying, I hope everything's going to be okay, they are reminding themselves of the power of Jesus to raise people even from the dead and they're gaining strength. And whether or not God does what they hope or whether or not God sustains them in some other way, they are not going to be toppled over because they are reminding themselves of God's power. And when you're in difficulty, whatever your difficulty may be, Tonight, You just picture in your mind what it is that's bothering you, what it is that seems like it's pushing on you and threatening to knock you down. If you would remind yourself concretely of God's power, you would gain confidence like David and like the Epps. Now, secondly, what do we do in times of trouble? We remind ourselves not only of God's power, but secondly, of God's provision, of God's provision. Now, that's similar to the last point. You may say it sounds almost exactly the same. But I want you to notice in verses 5-8 through eight, and then again in verses 19-22 through 22, that David is reminding himself of God's power again, yes. But this time he's doing it more personally. And this time he's doing it in the past tense. In other words, instead of just saying, God, you're powerful, you're like a rock, you're like a fortress, now David is saying, God, you're powerful and I remember how you've shown yourself powerful specifically for me. I can remember in my past how you have helped me, how you have been my provider. So he's reminding himself now specifically of God's provision for him in his own individual life. And you'll see that if you look at these verses, praising God for protection and provision in the past. In verse 7 there, he praises God for having rescued him in the past from an enemy. You notice that he says, I will rejoice and be glad in your loving kindness, because you have past tense, seen my affliction. You have known the troubles of my soul and you have not given me into the hand of the enemy. He doesn't tell us exactly what he's thinking of, but he knew what he was thinking of and God knew what he was thinking of. Maybe he was remembering previous times when Saul had tried to kill him. When Saul threw his spear at his head and God protected him and allowed him to escape. But whatever David's thinking of, it's past tense and it's personal. And he's saying, God, I know you're powerful and I also know you're powerful in my individual life. I've seen you do it before. And then he does the same thing again down in verse 21. Blessed be the Lord, for he has made marvelous his loving kindness to me in a besieged city. Remember I told you he went to one city and the other. And the first city he went to was a city called Kila. And Saul came and surrounded the city. God protected David even when the city was being besieged. He's remembering what God's already done for him. And gaining strength for what God will do for him in the future. And then even in verse 8 at the very end of the verse. You have set my feet in a large place. I think right now he's probably up against the mountain and he's realizing, wow, I was in a little city where there was almost nowhere to escape, but now I'm out here in the wilderness. You've put me in a large place. Saul's on the other side of the mountain and we can get away. God, you've already worked in the past. He's simply recalling times when God answered prayer when God brought deliverance for him in the past. He's praising God. He's reminding himself of God's provision. And the lesson is simple, isn't it? When you're in difficulty, when you don't seem to be able to make it, when things seem to be falling apart on you, you remind yourself not only of God's power in general, that he's a rock and a fortress, but you remind yourself of God's provision in particular on your behalf in the past. Can you recall even now from your past times where God brought specific deliverance to you? Where God specifically and clearly provided for you. It doesn't have to be that He rescued from someone who was killing you. It could be that He provided the money you needed. Or He provided the encouragement you needed. Or the job you needed. Or the healing that you needed. Or He answered some prayer about some situation at work. Can you remember how God has blessed you and provided for you in the past? Maybe it was in spiritual matters. Maybe it was in daily bread matters. Whatever it was. When you're in difficulty, you need to remind yourself of God's provision for you in the past. You need to have those things stored away in your mind. Now, that means that you need to actually pay attention to when God's blessing you, right? Don't just assume that everything is going well because everything is going well, but notice God's provision. Mark it in your memory. Maybe you have a journal where you need to write it down if you don't remember things well, but either in your memory or in a journal or somewhere, you need to mark God's mercy to you remind yourself of God's provision by writing it down or putting it in your memory bank so that you can readily pull it out in times of trouble God I remember that time when the bonus check was exactly the amount of money that we needed to pay for the car God I remember the time when that letter of encouragement came on exactly the day when someone else said something really difficult for me to swallow And because you've done that in the past, God, I know that you're on my side. I know that you're with me. Remind yourself of God's provision. And David especially would remind us in verse 5 to remind ourselves of God's provision for our sins. Listen to what he says. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. Now, he's no longer talking about God's deliverance from Saul or any other earthly enemy. God didn't have to pay a ransom to deliver David from his enemies, his earthly enemies, did he? God didn't have to pay anybody anything to set David free from Saul. So when David now speaks of a specific deliverance that's a ransom that God paid on his behalf, what's he thinking of? He's thinking of the ransom that God paid for his sins. He doesn't know what it is yet. It's obviously in space and time out in the future. But he knows that in God's eternal counsels, God has planned to send a savior for him and that God has forgiven him of his sins. And he is reminding himself, if God's done that, surely he'll protect me now. It's a much bigger deal for God to wipe away my sins, to forgive my sins against him than it is for him to protect me from Saul. If God can protect me from hell, surely he can protect me from Saul. And if God can protect you from hell, surely he can protect you in whatever earthly difficulties you find yourself. And so you need to remember how God has ransomed you. That's probably helpful to remember how it all happened. The circumstances that he used, the people that he used, the scriptures that he used, the conviction that you felt, the joy that you felt, the cleanness that you felt when you repented and turned to him. It's probably helpful to remember, for you to remember also what you were and who you now are in Christ. And it's certainly helpful as you remember God's provision for you to remember how much it cost, isn't it? To remember that God loved you enough to provide for your salvation by paying the ransom price in His Son's own blood. That's what David is doing here. If God would ransom me from my sins, surely He will provide for me now. And we can look back on it even more clearly and say if God would ransom me from my sins at the cost of His Son's own blood, surely He will provide for me now. He will give me what is good. And what's happening here in verse 5 is that David is having a Romans 8.32 moment before Romans 8.32 had been written. Romans 8.32, as many of you know, says... He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? If God would give us his son, his own son, why wouldn't he protect us from Saul? Why wouldn't he provide for our needs? Why wouldn't he give us a job? Why wouldn't he help us make ends meet? Why wouldn't he give us strength when we're sick? We would give permission at the cross, and if we do, we would spend a lot... Fewer moments in despair and worry and hopelessness. If God would give us His own Son, surely He would give us whatever else we need. When you're in difficulty, whatever your difficulty is, apply Psalm thirty-one five to your life. Say to God, God, into your hands I commit my spirit, knowing that you've already ransomed me. Knowing what that cost. Knowing that you love me. Having proof that you love me, into your hands I commit my spirit. I trust you. You're going to take care of me. Now just notice a couple of other things before we leave this point. First, I want you to notice that Jesus quoted Psalm 31.5 when He breathed His last on the cross. Luke 23.46 Jesus breathed His last as He cried, into your hands I commit my spirit. And I think what must have been happening there is that Jesus must have been rehearsing Psalm 31 in his mind. He must have been saying the same kinds of things to God that David was saying in the midst of his difficulty. He must have been reminding himself of God's provision. You need to notice that. The next time you read the account of Jesus' death, that when He says, Into your hands I commit my spirit, He's quoting Psalm 31, and He's saying just what David is saying. God, You've always taken care of me before. You've provided everything I've needed. And so, even now, I trust You. The Son of God is saying that to His Father. And if Jesus needed to remind Himself that God had provided for Him so that He could trust Him even in death, then surely you and I need to remind ourselves of God's provision in our own lives. And the other thing I want to notice in passing here is that David returns to this particular reminder twice in the psalm. I'm going to give you five reminders tonight. And of the other four that we mentioned, David only gives them each once. But this particular reminder where he is reminding himself of what God's done for him in the past. He does it in verses 5 through 8. And then he goes on to other things. And then he comes back again in verses 19 through 22 and says, let me remind myself again what God has done for me in my life. the only explanation I have for that is that David must have thought this was doubly helpful and doubly important. He says to himself, David, remember how God has delivered you. Remember all that He's done for you in the past. Let me say it again. David, remember all that God has done for you in the past. He must have said it twice to himself because it was doubly helpful. And if it was doubly helpful for David, it probably will be for us as well. This might be the most important thing you can do in times of difficulty. There are other things. We mentioned one. We're going to mention a few others. But perhaps the most important thing when you're in difficulty is to look back on your life and see how God has been gracious to you. See how God has blessed you. If you're His child, see how He has provided for you. Particularly if you're His child, see how He's provided for you at the cross. Remind yourself of Romans 8.32. So remind yourself of God's power in general. And secondly, remind yourself of God's provision specifically on your behalf. Thirdly, what do we do in times of trouble? We remind God of our problems. We remind God of our problems. That's what David is doing in the next few verses, verses 9 through 13. Just scan through and notice a few things. He says in verse 9, my eye is wasted away from grief and my body also. Verse 11, I've become a reproach, especially to my neighbors. Verse 13, I've heard the slander of many. They scheme to take away my life. What's he doing there? He's rehearsing his troubles, isn't he? He's reminding God of his problems. And in times of trouble, I think David's example teaches us it's right, it's okay, it's good for us to do the same. It's okay and it's right and it's good to remind God of your problems. Not because he doesn't already know them all and not because he's tempted to forget what's happening in your life. But it's good to remind God of your difficulties simply because he delights when you come to him and admit your need for help. And admit that He is the only one who can help you and trust Him as your Father. So you should never, ever think to yourself, God doesn't want to listen to me. God already knows what's going on in my life. What's the point of praying? He doesn't want to hear this again from me. What's the point of pouring out my tears to Him? That's not biblical. Now, if God already knows what your problems are, then what is the point of praying? Well, one of the points is relationship. God wants a friendship with you. Let me ask you, when you've been in difficulty, real difficulty, and you just needed to get it off your chest, have you ever talked to your spouse or your really good friend or your roommate and told them everything that was going on and they already knew it already? Have you ever done that? Of course you have. I mean, I tell Toby things all the time and I know she already knows and she tells me things and and she knows I already know. But she needs to talk to someone about it. And I need to talk to someone about it. And sometimes you need to talk to someone about it. And what David is teaching us here is that God is the someone. It's not wrong to talk to your wife or your husband or your friend or your roommate or your pastor. But sometimes you just have to go to God with your problems and tell Him exactly all that's wrong. It doesn't mean that you're allowed to murmur It doesn't mean that you go to Him and you complain. It doesn't mean that you accuse Him and say, why are you letting this happen? It doesn't mean that you question God. But you do go to God and remind Him of your troubles. And God is all ears to the cries of His saints. So what's the struggle in your life? It may be a little thing right now, maybe a great big thing that seems impossible, but what's the struggle in your life? Let me ask you, have you laid it all on the table before God yet? Or have you been assuming, well, he just knows and it would be pointless for me to go and tell him again. He doesn't want to hear all this. Have you laid it on the table before God like David does here? And if not, would you not? Tonight, go home and lay it on the table before God and say, God, this is it. This is everything that I can see that's wrong. And I can't fix it. And I need you to fix it. Let me say this too. From these verses. Never discount the role, whether it be a small role or a large role, never discount the role of your own sins in your troubles. Notice what David says in verse 10 My life is spent with sorrow, and my years with sighing. My strength has failed because of my iniquity, and my body has wasted away. Hear that well. David says, my strength has failed because of my iniquity. So his sins were a part of the problem that he had to lay on the table before God. Now, as we read the psalm, we realize his sins weren't the main problem. The main problem is in verse 11. The main problem is his adversaries. But David is recognizing here that part of his response, his lethargy, his distress, his worry, is sin. And when he lays the problems that his adversaries are calling, causing on the table before God, he also lays his own iniquity on the table before God. So, remind God of your problems. And to the extent that some of them may be self-inflicted, remind Him of that too. Lay that on the table too. And confess it and repent of it and be washed clean of it. What do you do in times of trouble? You remind yourself of God's power and God's provision in your own life. You remind yourself thirdly of or you remind God thirdly of your problems and fourthly in times of trouble you remind God of your petitions. Remind God of your petitions. Now someone says, how do we remind God of our petitions? That's just what we're talking about doing. We haven't done it yet. That's what this is all about, right? We're learning how to pray, how to make petitions to God in times of trouble. But we haven't done it yet. So how can we remind God of our petitions when we haven't yet made them for the very first time? When we haven't yet sat down to pray, how do we remind God of our petitions that we haven't made? Well, you may say, well, you just said remind God because all the other ones were reminded. And this has a P in it. And so you wanted to make it all fit. And so you said remind God of petitions, but that's not really what you mean but it is what I mean. Never forget. Never forget when you sit down to pray that your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Never forget that. Matthew 6, 8. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So anytime you come to God with a request, anytime you come to God with a petition, it will of necessity be a reminder because God already knows it. So... Remind God of your petitions. Don't think that you're informing Him with new information. Simply remind Him of your needs. Someone else says, why do we need to remind Him if He already knows? It's not that God is forgetful. It's not that He needs reminding. It's really that we need to ask. We need to come and tell God what He already knows Not for God's benefit, but because we need to ask. We need to admit our need. We need to demonstrate our need by prayer. We need to recognize that God alone can meet our need. And we need to actually get on our knees and ask Him to do it. That's why we remind Him. Not for His sake, but so that we can show our dependence on Him. So, remind God of your petitions. That is, tell Him what you need. And that's what we find David doing in verses 14 through 18. Let me just read them all to you. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. And here's where he begins with his petitions. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. Make your face to shine upon your servant. Save me in your loving kindness. Let me not be put to shame, O Lord, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them be silent in Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak arrogantly against the righteous with pride and contempt. David lists about five or six requests there they're virtually all saying the same thing, same two things, help me and punish my enemies. But he actually sits down and asks. He knows that that's what God knows he needs. He understands that God knows what he needs before he asks, but he actually stops and asks. And in times of trouble, you need to actually stop and ask. And someone else will say then, well, that's obvious. I mean, of course we're going to ask God. Where else would we go? I mean, I may forget all these other things that you're talking about tonight, but at least I'll remember to ask God for help. Really? How often have you and I gotten on our knees to pray and instead of praying, we ended up brainstorming? Or instead of praying, we ended up worrying as we rehashed all the problems and never actually got down to asking How many times? I've done it lots of times. Lots of my prayer is really either worrying or brainstorming. And I never actually really ask God. And then how about all the times where we go straight to the brainstorming or straight to the worrying and never even get on your knees in the first place? It's not a given. Don't just assume that this fourth point, that you have it down pat. You have to actually make yourself stop and pray. Don't just ask others to pray. Don't just talk about praying. Don't just think about praying. Don't just kneel down and act like you're praying. Actually stop and pray. Now, your prayers may not be profound. You may not know lots of specific things to ask for. In fact, if you read David's prayers here, they're not very profound. God help me. Let me say it another way. God help me. Let me say it in a third different way. God help me and God destroy my enemies. Not very profound and not a whole lot that he asked for as far as a numerical list. Your prayers don't have to be profound, but they do need to be pronounced. They need to be verbalized. You can say just a few words and get to God. Or you can say no words and have lots of wonderful thoughts and never ask for his help. So what's your problem again? What's the thing you're dealing with? Have you stopped? And ask God to help you, really stopped and ask God. Remind God of your petitions. Present your request to God, Paul says in Philippians four: six. So what do we do in times of trouble? Remind ourselves of God's power, remind ourselves of God's provision, remind God of our problems, remind God of our petitions. and then finally, we need to remind others to trust the Lord. Remind others to trust the Lord. Isn't it interesting how David concludes this psalm in verses 23 and 24? Oh, love the Lord, all you his godly ones. The Lord preserves the faithful and fully recompenses the proud doer. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. For 22 verses, David has been engaged in private prayer. It's just him and God. 22 verses. And now all of a sudden, instead of private prayer, he's engaged in public preaching. Just for two verses. But he shifts his focus. He shifts his focus from you, O Lord, to all you who hope in the Lord. Why does he do that? Why does he shift his focus in these last two verses? Well, one possibility is that after having reminded himself of God's power and God's provision, and after having reminded the Lord of his petitions and his problems, he's gained new strength. So perhaps it's that his private faith that's been happening for 22 verses is now overflowing into public preaching. And that's good. if you have private faith, if you're trusting the Lord, then your prayer requests will always eventually turn into praises, and they will turn into praises that you can share with others, Right? Maybe that's what's happening here. David is simply saying, God is going to deliver me and I just want to praise God in front of all of you. But it's also possible that David's public preaching was calculated to increase his private faith. It's possible that his private faith overflowed into public preaching, but it's also possible that his public preaching was calculated to help him increase his own private faith. Do you ever notice that your own soul seems to prosper best when you are giving yourself away to others? Is that true of you? If you've given yourself away enough to others, you will notice your soul does best when you're giving yourself away to others for Christ's sake. And isn't it also true that when you teach something or encourage another, the lesson that you taught or the encouragement that you gave is often stamped much more indelibly on your own soul than it would have been if you just studied it on your own. That's true. When you encourage another, the lesson of encouragement stays with you longer than it would if you just meditated on it yourself. And so I know it's possible to be a phony. I know it's possible to tell others things and to encourage others, even though you don't believe or don't apply them yourselves. But I don't think that's what David is doing here. I think David might just be stopping in the middle of his prayer to God, ending his prayer to God, and getting up to encourage others both for their sakes and for his own sake. I think he might just be encouraging others because he knows as he encourages others to trust the Lord, it will help him trust the Lord. So he says, I will pray for, I will encourage, I will minister to other people. And as I do, my own soul will gain new strength. I will start to believe more deeply that which I am encouraging others to believe. And that will be true of you. It will be true of you if in times of trouble you would pray to the Lord as David prays, but then eventually get up off your knees and focus outward, you would be greatly helped. So whatever your struggle is this evening, great or small, do those four things. Remind yourself of God's power and provision. Remind God of your problems and your petitions. But then don't stay on your knees forever. Don't stay on the floor forever. Don't remain in introspection forever. Eventually you need to get up and you need to proclaim God's goodness to someone else. You need to pray with someone else. You need to encourage someone else with verses 23 and 24. You need to say to someone else, love the Lord. Love the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. You need to be able to say that in your hospital bed. You need to be able to say that when you are the one standing by the casket receiving everyone else's hugs. You will benefit greatly from being the mouthpiece to encourage others as well. When you're in difficulty, look outward and let your own private prayers overflow into public praise before others. And you might just find yourself gaining even more strength to obey and apply your own counsel.